welcome to Unraveling Pink. I'm Annie Rogaski. It is my pleasure to sit here today with Aaron Rand, who is the COO of Service Rocket and the advisor to startups and founding teams. Welcome, Aaron. It's good to be here, Annie. It's always good to chat with you. Likewise. So today we're tackling a topic that neither of us wanted to talk about. Yeah, this was <laughs> this was uh, the crisis of we talk about this, you and I, and uh, the thought of putting it in a podcast is, yeah, really super uncomfortable for me. Well, that's perfect because that's what this podcast is all about, which is tackling those gender issues in the workplace that we don't like to talk about. We're not quite sure how to deal with and to explore those and try to come up with some actionable solutions that we can all take back to our offices and put into place. So the thing that we don't want to talk about is the issue of senior or executive women who see gender issues happen at work and feel the compulsion to take up the mantle and point it out to try to help the team identify that there's an issue and solve that issue. And there are a thousand sub-issues in this topic, so we'll just dive in. Okay. Can I just say it's, it's just the fact that we are talking about gender issues, period, full stop is uh, something I generally try to avoid being part of my public. And this is, I know your podcast has a lot of followers and uh, a lot of people listen to it. So the idea of, which is interesting because I'm a firm believer in feminism and gender equality and you know understanding and overcoming bias in all its forms, but actually putting that out in the public domain as part of my personal brand is something I try and actually try and avoid doing. Why do you try to avoid it? So I, I think I'm not alone in this. I want to be known for what I do. You'll hear a lot of women say that I want to be known for what I do, not for championing women's issues as the thing that I do. And there's, there's this, uh, because there's so much energy and attention and in, in a lot of ways, momentum, although we argue about, you know, how much impact my momentum is having on this, it's really easy for other people to place you in a box that, oh, there's the, the woman leader whose role it is to champion women and to care about, like, that's who you become as, and I, I've always felt like my value comes for the cause. My value comes for the cause in being a very visible leader in tech, in operations, in strategy, and that that's where just being a visible part of that. So being strong on the business side, being a, a recognized leader, you also happen to be female. Yes. Which gives you visibility and provides a role model, frankly, for other people, for other women and men. Yeah. Um, to see a woman in a powerful role, but then does it diminish that mm. reputation just by associating yourself with gender issues. Well, that's the fear. Is it is it reality or not? I don't know. I think any woman listening to the podcast will recognize when I say I brace myself when these topics come up um, in the workplace or even in my social, in my network, right? 
when women's issues come up, I brace for the collective eye roll, <laughs> right? And it's very yeah. real. Like yeah. every woman just laughed and every, mm-hmm. and most men just uh, weren't entirely sure what we were talking about, that there is this tension that it creates. It is really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's a really uncomfortable topic. And yet in recent years, I've worked really hard to try and overcome that and do both. I think Sheryl Sandberg is a great example of someone who's become really famous for being an amazing operator mm-hmm. who uh, clearly has incredible business acumen who could build her brand also around putting that out there of what it's like to go through that experience as a woman. I find this comes up all the time and I jump into the fray in part because I was very involved with starting a women's leadership organization, the club. And so it is a part of my brand, but I've had the same reaction that you have of, I don't want to be known in my job Mm -hmm. as the woman who's always teeing up the women's issues. How do you bring attention to an issue that is pervasive in most workplaces without it being associated with you? That's a really good question. I find in my own experience, it's easier to do when the stakes are lower. When I'm at my own job, where I'm going to show up every day, and I have every day for over four years, the team I adore, the stakes are very high because I'm going to be coming back to this place and these people over and over and over again. It's much harder to bring it up there because if it goes poorly, the consequences are longer lasting. Whereas uh, when I'm helping others or in my network or I getting engaged to do small engagements to help people, help companies, help founding teams around working through their bio, potential biases. So it's interesting, You, the question you asked is a little bit different than what I answered. You asked, how do you bring it up without having it be associated with you? And I haven't ever successfully brought it up without it being associated with me, which is why I answered the question that why it's easier to do externally than with people that you see on a regular basis. I think about it a lot. I think about how do I enlist allies to champion the, the cause? Uh, because if you ever, whether it's gender bias, race bias, age bias, orientation bias, like if you have, it's always more powerful to have the person who's in the position of privilege mm-hmm. make the case than it is for the person who's potentially being damaged by the bias. It's always more imp- I should never use the word always, but it's <laughs> often it's much it's very frequently more powerful mm-hmm. for um, the person with the privilege to actually use that and and because they're they're not automatically be being perceived as carrying a chip on their shoulder so people are more apt to listen initially Mm -hmm. there's that they don't have that barrier to cover but what's interesting is allies come to me offline and say hey this is going on i thought you you know because they want they want me to know that they're an ally but they want me to take the action they want you to solve the problem. They want me to solve the problem because I because there's this perception that this is a woman's problem to solve, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is interesting because I think uh, part of the impetus for this podcast is the realization that women can't go in a room and solve this problem on our own <laughs> because we do need not just the privilege and position and leadership 
that men hold, but we need their ideas too. I mean, ultimately, if what we want is a workplace where men and women can come in and be comfortable and engaged and successful, we need to find a structure that works in a culture that works for everybody. So you raised a number of interesting concepts there. Um, one is the concept of allies and how do we engage them in this? As you were speaking, I was thinking of the composition of a meeting room. Mm-hmm. So a lot of women who are in senior roles have experienced along the way being the only woman in the room. And I know it's a different feeling for me at least, if I'm the only woman in that room, I do my mental calculus of, am I going to raise this issue when I see it come up? And that calculus is different the more women who are in the room. And I think it's because I expect, which is a gender assumption on my part, that they will support me. Maybe vocally, maybe internally, maybe with a an acknowledgement a facially, nod, yes, yeah. some knowing look that they, they're on board with me, whether they speak up or not. But what you were talking about from the male ally standpoint is there in that room too. So if we felt like by raising an issue, by, by acknowledging that something just took place that was gendered, um, if we felt like the men in that room would be supportive in at least acknowledging it as a problem and working with us on a solution, would that help in raising the issue? Or do you still have the reluctance to put yourself out there as the brand? You know, I think it would help a lot. I think it would help a lot because then it would be like any other business issue we were solving. Like I have, I raise, and a lot of us raise, like really gnarly, uncomfortable Mm -hmm. business issues on a regular basis. And when we raise those issues, you get the whole room jumps in. Right. Yeah. To solve the problem. Uh, There might be some debate, initially debate over, is that a problem? Is there a problem we care about? But we all actively engage in that debate. Like, let's just say the pricing model is a mess. We need to, you know, we're not, we're not priced in the right, right place in the market for our product. And then you get engaged in this debate through the whole life cycle of, of working through the issue. And then to the point where you get to, okay, what do you, we've decided what's an issue and what isn't. We've decided what strategic approach we want to take. Then we break it down into goals and experiments that we're going to run to test what we're going to do. And you measure it and then you, you know, come back. And that's, you know, that's the nature of business. What feels different when it's often when it's a gender issue is that Everyone looks to the women in the room, the one or two or three or whomever, however many. I'll tell you what, when I'm in the rooms where the men who are in the room engage at the same level on the gender issues, it is so much easier to then just treat it like any other business problem or business opportunity that you're trying to either fix or take advantage of than um, if if it half the room body language goes, oh, I don't want to have this conversation. <laughs> and by the way, when I say half the room, sometimes there's, it's not unusual for there to be women who all of a sudden mm-hmm. clench yeah. too, because it, it's uncomfortable. Right. One piece you mentioned is people looking to women for the solution. And I think it's, it's a assumption, probably a natural assumption that if you're a woman and there's an issue that impacts women, you'll have an opinion on it. You may even be an expert on it. And so I think that inclination is 
is a natural one. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take it out of the gender issue tie just back to regular business practices too. You know, I work with a lot of scaling companies and one of the things with scaling companies is you have a team that has gotten a company from point A to point B and now you're trying to take a company from point B to point C and you're often bringing in new leaders at mm-hmm. that time. The new leader who have experience taking a company from B to C, that's their specialty. And they come in and they're all excited about taking the company from point B to point C. And the company, the team that's taken it from point A to point B feels like their work is being totally diminished. It's like you're all telling how you're going to fix all the stuff, our stuff. Wait, that's Mm -hmm. our stuff, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And they feel even, and people forget that, right? People come in and they're like talking about all the all the better things we need to do and they don't realize often that by talking about all the better things they need to do that you're criticizing the people who've been doing right right really good people who have done amazing things who've gotten to the point that worked for that bringing that back to the gender issue and whenever we talk about we need to do better we need to fix what's broken the implication is that the people that are there are actually doing bad things, right? Mm -hmm. They're actually in some way failing. I mean, in worst case, worst case, they feel like they're being perceived as the bad guy. Right. And who are doing malevolent, nasty things Mm -hmm. to women. (laughs) Well, that's a good point, which is it's not bad intentions. Usually that is the problem. We're, we're, we've made so much progress on, on gender relations in the workplace. It's more of a, an ownership among leadership teams that we all should be looking for these issues and raising them when we see them happen. Yeah. I get asked a lot when I raise the topic, well, what do I do? Erin, what do you want me to do? And that's always a little bit of both. It, it's both a good and a bad question to be asked. Mm-hmm. The good is, especially when I believe it's coming from a good place, they really do want to know what to do. Right. They want to solve the problem. They want to solve the problem. The bad is uh, it becomes my problem to help to tell them what they need to do to solve the problem. So again, it's a mixed blessing. How can I how can I how could I possibly complain about about someone whose mind is open to say, you know, tell me what you want me to do and I'll at least consider doing it. I've tried to think of how I want to answer that question. And what keeps coming back to mind is. I want, I want him to invest in understanding the issue and not rely on me to understand the issue. A little bit like if I was going to move into real estate, and this is, I'm saying this on purpose, I might read The Art of the Deal by, <laughs> by Trump. I might, if I wanted to move, if I really wanted to understand how to do that well, I would go read the books, listen to the podcasts, invest my time. And so my, my, what, what does, what are the real allies? What do I think they should do? I think they should invest their time in understanding the space, not just, not just asking me or other women like me what to do, what we should think. I think it would, it would send a much different message if they went out and researched unconscious bias, if they went out and, and there are, by the way, there are lots of men who do that. Mm-hmm. I've met some of them and they're freaking amazing. 
that's what I would like to see more of our leadership men on our leadership teams do is invest their the time we spend in learning learning about the research in the space, the thought leadership in the space, and consider it part of their role to do so. It's just another leadership skill. Just another leadership skill that isn't just the role of women. That's right. And there is a great resource where you can find all sorts of articles on this, which is unravelingpink.com slash resources. <laughs> even, even segregated out by topic. So if there's a particular topic you want to learn about, you can go and you can learn about it. And if you don't see a topic there that you want to learn about, you can put a comment in the contact page at Unraveling Pink, and we will find those articles and we will post them so that you can go there and learn. But then once they do, so let's say, let's say, all of our male listeners go to unravelingpink.com slash resources or other places and they learn about this. The next time this comes up, right. they're going to have solutions mm-hmm. that they want to share. Will they be mansplaining to us? <laughs> are that they damned if they do, question. damned if they don't? They are a bit. Let's just, let's just own it. They are a bit. I think that's one of the things that makes people pucker a bit when this subject comes up because it's, it is a bit of a minefield and what we can do is make it what we, we meaning uh, women thought leaders in the space can do is when someone's really trying to help them not criticize them. Yes. Right. There's way too much of the criticism going way on. Way too much yeah. of the criticism going on. Way too much of, I see it a fair bit where someone is trying to be an ally. And yeah, they're kind of stepping on themselves when they're doing it. But I think about how do you take that interest and energy and help them actually channel it mm-hmm. in, a, in a way that's really positive. I think it's got to be really intimidating to actually wade into that. And if you get smacked a couple times yeah. for trying, even mm-hmm. if you get it wrong, I think you're, you're significant, the chances that you're going to do it again right. fall dramatically. I think we can help allies be better allies and we can we cannot punish people when they try. So what would, what what does that look like? So an issue comes up at work, somebody points it out, someone else says, "Yeah, that's an issue. We should we should look into that." How does the solution get worked out with multiple perspectives? Like you would any other business issue, right? You decide you're actually going to tackle it. You appoint someone as a excuse the sports analogy, the quarterback, but then that quarterback builds their team to actually solve the problem and they work on it together. But you always need to have someone on point and you bring hopefully diverse perspectives to it. I think that, I think that you need more than just the female voice to come up with the solutions and you really need to listen to the different perspectives, male and along the spectrum perspectives to come to a really good solution. So how do how do leadership teams show support for this? And what I mean by that is uh, I was talking with someone recently who said the research around the benefit, the business benefits of gender diversity and all types of diversity in the workplace is clear. And people now are to the point of saying, yes, there's a business benefit. For the most part, it's... You know I don't agree with that, right? Good. Then we can have a conversation around that. Um, Let's take first as an assumption, and then we'll come back to your your, um, dispute. I I love to have disputes. So this is great. But if 
if it was actually no, let's go to your dispute first. So why? So there has been research out there that if you have X number of women on the board, you're so much more profitable. Um, if you have uh, uh, more women in the workplace, you're getting to better products for consumers. You're more reflective of the consumers that you're trying to reach and better able to respond to the, the issues that they have. You think businesses are not accepting that as a conclusion? I do. I think that there are a lot of, I think a lot of the really powerful women leaders that I meet get it. I also think that a lot of the broader network of leaders, it's not resonating. The message that diversity is required as, as diversity leads to business success or mm -hmm. diversity leads to better business outcomes actually doesn't resonate. For a lot of people that I meet, and in fact, there's uh, I heard very recently on a stage in a very um, very public forum, leaders talking about how we need to get back to the days where you just build teams of people that you trust, that you know, and that you can have the speed of and handshakes mm -hmm. that that we're, we're missing that now, and that it's it's uh, I work with startups where you do build teams of people who can read each other's minds and that that's an asset. And then I've spent a lot of time thinking about, well, why is diversity itself the outcome? Because I think we sometimes talk about that, mm -hmm. right? We yeah. say, if you have diversity, it gets better outcomes. I actually think diversity is, is um, itself with a few exceptions, not leading to the better outcome that that's, I think bringing the right people together and because mm -hmm. I was like looking at you waiting for the eye roll because we all have this, I just hire the, the best <laughs> people for the job, right? I think bringing together really amazing people mm -hmm. leads to amazing outcomes. Diversity is correlated with better outcomes. I don't think everyone get or is often correlated with better outcomes, but it's not necessarily causal. And I know for everyone who's not a stats person, I don't think that it's necessary the diversity itself that is causing the better outcome. I think that when you lack diversity, when I look at, when I work with companies and I look at a team that is homogenous, what I see is a team that is hiring people based on something other than finding the best person. Hmm. Ease of hiring or, or yeah, just I, not knowing where to look? I think that we as human beings find patterns and our brains are actually wired to take incomplete and imperfect, imperfect information, project it forward, you know, detect the pattern and project it forward. And I think we do that in a lot of ways that we shouldn't today in the pace of life that we are doing. If I'm building a startup, if I'm building a company and I see that uh, my first two engineers look and act a certain way um, and they're successful, then everyone who looks and acts like mm -hmm. them, my brain detects this pattern and I project it forward. Mm -hmm. And so instead of looking for the engineering skills, I'm looking for those things that are easier to see that I found in this pattern. I need people who look and, and dress and behave a certain way. So when I see companies that have homogenous teams, it tells me they're taking shortcuts mm -hmm. or finding proxies to doing the hard work to finding the best people. 
And so when I see companies that have really great success and they have diverse teams, what that tells me, because the, the underlying set of people, and this is where we have to get beyond this debate, this is what mm-hmm. success looks like for me. The underlying set of people that you're pulling, pool of people that you're pulling from is a diverse set of people. I think we skip that too quickly because I think that we get talking about the pipeline issue. We get talked about that. The underlying set of people is diverse. So by definition, if I ran, if I pull the best people out of that, it's going to be a diverse set of people. Right. So I think people, the reason that you have women on boards of companies that are doing well is those companies that are doing well have figured out how to hire the best people so their boards are naturally diverse. Mm-hmm. They're they're not successful mm-hmm. because they hired women. They're successful because they figured out how to hire for the right qualities, not the proxies that our brains want to take the shortcuts to do. Okay, so I agree with you on certain aspects of that. Okay. <laughs> and it comes back to actually the the episode with Chris Rogaski. Um, where he said that if you are trying to hire the best people, then you need to ensure that your pool of people is complete. And if you're going to networks that look like you, you are going to maybe have the best people in your network, but you're not going to have the best people to draw from in your applicant pool. And I think that is one area where most companies struggle is they're not casting the net broadly enough for a variety of reasons. It might be speed, it might be cost. But if- It might be access. It might be access, right? If we all had access to the best networks, then I agree with you. We would all have much more diverse workplaces because why would you go for talent that's not as good as other talent um, just to have people look like you? So I agree with you that if we were to- actually go for the best talent, we would naturally have more diverse workplaces. We often don't know how to do that. Yes, that's true. That is and true. that's why we take the shortcuts. Yeah. That's one reason. Another reason that I want to throw out there and get your thoughts on Yay. is what uh, what this, this gentleman I was having a conversation with said, which is even if we accept the assumption that you will have a more successful business with a more diverse workplace, by inviting into your house a diversity of perspectives, you will naturally have more conflict. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people struggle with conflict generally, even though it's necessary to get to the best business result in most cases. Why would you do that voluntarily? Why would you hire someone knowing they're going to disagree with you? And not only do that once, but maybe do it 20 times or 100 times or 1,000 times. Thoughts? Ah, I love it. I actually <laughs> love that because it's, it's, um, it, I think that's, I think whoever you talk to, I would pat them on the back because I think that is very insightful. Uh, why do we, for all the techies listening, and I don't know how much of your audience are, are techies, we have a concept of tech debt, which is when you are building something for speed, you might build something that is uh, you can get out quickly, mm-hmm. but is not going to at some point in the future is going to cause you problems because it's not going to scale or it's not going to be robust, but it was good enough for now. And when you're at a phase of product growth, there's a time when you're consciously making this decision that you're going to do something suboptimal in the long term, knowing that you're building up debt that at some point you're actually going to have to invest more time 
to unwind the bad, unwind, repair, replace, retrofit the bad stuff that you did that allowed you to get out quickly. So if you think about that from um, when I'm building a company, speed does feel like the most important. If it's the easiest way for me to get speed is to hire people who look like me and believe in me and aren't going to cause uh, mm -hmm. conflict, who are going to um, get what I'm get where my head's at and just go that way. I am building up company debt, right? I am building up business debt. So I want to switch gears a little bit. One of the things that we try to do on this podcast is to offer concrete suggestions of what people might do to, in this case, perhaps identify biases that occur, uh, tools for speaking up, mm -hmm. tools for being an ally. Um, and then we close with a challenge, which I don't think I told you about in no. advance. I gave you no time to prepare. <laughs> Good. So it'll come from the, it'll come from the raw. Exactly. Exactly. So I'd like to turn to that and we can take them in, in whatever order and they may end up being the same things. Um, but for those allies out there, what suggestions would you give for how they can help us not be in the position of always raising women's issues or being in the position of having to come up with solutions for how to solve them. A couple of things. I would really like them to be out there asking for how it feels, how it feels. I know I'm Give watching Give me an the, example. Yeah. So here's some of the things that I've seen that I've seen really great male allies do that got partway there that I would have loved to have seen go a little further. I've seen male allies it made me so happy reach out to either women or people of color or LGBTQ and say, you know, how are we doing? Hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Fantastic question. Right. And we need to do more of that, like in a safe way, please tell me how I'm doing. Uh, what I would tell them is that the first response they are likely to get 95% of the time is you're doing fine. <laughs> That's not what I expected you to say, but I agree with you. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, because people still have, don't want to be the squeaky wheel. They don't want to wear the label. They don't want to be the one carrying the torch like we've talked about on this podcast. Yeah. And so their their initial response is going to be, don't worry about it. Everything's fine. You, our company is great. Don't worry about it. I would say ask three times in three different ways and really make it clear and ask in a way that shows that you actually want to hear what you can do better. Not that you're asking to be reassured that we aren't doing anything wrong. So what might that sound like? Um, that's great, Jane. I'm glad to hear that, that you feel like we're doing well. I'd really like, no matter how well we're doing, to continue to improve in everything we do. And this is no, this area is no different. What ideas do you have Maybe we're not doing anything bad. What ideas do you have that we could even be better? That That's interesting because what you, I thought you were going to go to what ideas do you have to solve the problem, but you didn't. You said, what, what ideas do you have basically for us to frame the conversation and for us to be thinking about the conversation. Right. So it, it is inclusive in inviting the women and men to come together and talk about that issue, but also doesn't put all the onus on the woman to solve the problem of gender diversity. I like it. So do you have a challenge for our listeners? And there's one other piece I didn't tell you. 
which is that <laughs> you're full of surprises today. <laughs> that you have to commit to the challenge as well. I give occasional exceptions, but I'm not going to give you a pass on this one. The challenge that I have is we're we're very focused in these conversations on what we can do to make our spaces, our workplaces, our networks, our communities uh, more welcoming, more inclusive. My challenge is to not just try and make your network, your company, your community more welcoming for others, but to go visit whoever the other is. In this case, we're talking about gender. Go spend some time in their community. Meaning if you're, if we're talking about women, go spend some time in a women's organization and women's club. And you know what? I know as men have told me that that's really often really uncomfortable. I loved listening mm-hmm. to your podcast with uh, Chris Rogaski, where he talked about, he goes and does Mm-hmm. Uh, right go go not just make yours welcoming go consciously and find something that makes you uncomfortable mm-hmm. and go there I love that because I um and and the club is one organization that has non-member events from time to time and we have someone who has showed up at almost every event that is open to non-members and I had the privilege of moderating a discussion at a table that he sat at. And I had two conversations with two different groups. One group was entirely female and the other group was all female except for Frank. And the discussion was entirely different. And the one that Frank participated in was initially quite uncomfortable. There was this feeling out of what can I say? Are they going to bite my head off? And you could feel the body language around the table. You could, you could see the tension, but he was brave and he put some thoughts out there. Yeah. And, and by the end of the discussion, every woman wanted to ask him a question. Like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And they wanted his perspective. And it turned into this really valuable conversation that was totally different than when you had all women around the table. It was a different discussion and both are important. But by him coming to that event, and he was the only man in the room, not just at my table, wow. only man in, my, in the room. And he was open to getting things wrong. And he was open to hearing the perspectives of the women around the table. And I think everyone came away from that having learned something. And that was a hard thing to do. I mean, as hard as it is for women to go to conferences where it's all men, it's just as hard for men to go to conferences that are all women or harder. Totally just as hard or harder. Yeah. Like think about, yeah, think about how we feel if you're the only woman in a in a boardroom or you're the only room, woman in the exec staff. And now you're the only man walking into a room of several hundred, you know, a few hundred women. And it's, we forget how intimidating that is. And we, so I'm, I'm proud of Prank. Me too. And I want more and I like your challenge. That's a great I want challenge. More Franks. And yeah. by the way, that that works for us too. Is um, we it's think about. I know your podcast is very focused on on gender. And think about people of color. Think mm-hmm. about yeah. LGBTQ. Uh, we as women in our movement often get criticized for not taking as much of kind of women of color. Mm-hmm. Right. And that so being out there and visiting communities beyond the communities like Annie, you and I are, I think we get along so well because we're often so much alike. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Uh, But expanding our, our network as well and going where we might not normally. Yeah. That's a great suggestion. 
I will put in the show notes uh, a list of women's organizations that men could go check out and go to an event from time to time and and hear the perspectives of, of women. And if if any of our listeners want to share other suggestions, whether that women's other organization women's or other organizations generally, um, we'll add those to the show notes as well. Awesome. Thank you, Annie. Thank you so much. This was great. Always a pleasure. 